When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Weekend edition is here and an audible going on. Yes, 9 to 11 this morning. Chris Schmidt, Mark Rainack, the full crew is here. Elijah Herbel, Connor Clark. They are both a little more bright eyed. We are going to get you into Oregon and Ohio State here on ESPN Lincoln. So a, a bit of a audible, as they say, with time change. We are uh, not quite the NFL, but we tend to flex schedule from time to time. It's a day of remembrance with September 11th, and we will remember with uh, Nebraska assistant and offensive analyst Ron Brown coming up in the Rewind. Uh, well, really no numbers to get in yet this morning uh, as uh, it's, a, it's a flex schedule, but you're welcome to fire off some emails, chris at alevarsity.com, and uh, for sure, find and tag us on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Mark Skurs. Uh, Mark, we'll get into uh, the Tuttle Walk feature that BTN produced this week on September 11th, 2001 uh, with Nebraska and Rice uh, the, the following Thursday. Uh, we'll dive into Nebraska-Buffalo, the importance of this ball game, some of the keys that need to happen. But just overall, you uh, were just out of college. Same with me as we think back. Uh, about our country and uh, all the heroes, the first responders, law enforcement, fire, and rescue. Uh, 20 years, it doesn't seem like it, but man, uh, this date is still eerie. It's still gut-wrenching uh, as the years can continue to fast forward. Yeah, and hard to believe it's 20 years, right? And it's one of those things where everybody remembers exactly where they were when they found out. And I'll be honest, when it first happened, I, I didn't even know what the word World Trade Center I think I'd heard of it, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that that's what those two buildings were, right? Um, and so you first hear about it, and you're like, wait, what? What? where is that? What? Oh, those two tall, but what? Tune in, and you watch the mm-hmm. second plane hit, and you're just like, a, a what? Mm-hmm. And at the time, my brother's in Washington, D.C., and you remember the Pentagon got hit that yeah. day, too. Um, yeah, just uh, absolutely never forget it. And I was working in news at the time as a photographer. And so I had to, you know, go out and kind of shoot a local reaction type story. And man, the number of people that immediately put flags out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the key shots that, that, that we got was, you know, just going through neighborhoods like that's how people responded um, in one way. And you remember, too, some, some folks don't know this, but George Bush flies to Offutt. Alfred Air Force Base in Bellevue on Air Force One. Um, and so that was pretty surreal, too, because all plane traffic was, of course, stopped. 
But then there you are in Omaha slash Bellevue when you see Air Force One flying in, taking the president because they didn't know the extent of how, how much longer the attack was ongoing and they had to get him into a secure location. So, yeah, it was it's hard. It's, it really is hard to believe it's 20 years ago because it, it's very fresh. You 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 remember exactly um, what was going through your mind and exactly where you were was working the radio side and I uh, was working part-time uh, at KFOR and part of my job was to, to produce and screen phone calls for, for the, the legend Kathy Blythe and her show Problems and Solutions and that always started at 9. And I remember my girlfriend, now wife, popping over to the apartment in the morning, A, to make sure I was up, bless her heart, B, uh, just, you know, pop in and say, Hey, and then it's, you're getting ready and it's eight Oh six. And you're like, Oh my God, what, what, what has happened? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it was just wall to wall coverage updates. And, uh, I, I'm still the hair on the back of my neck stands up every time I see footage of, and I, you know, wherever your politics are, president Bush at the time with the megaphone responding at ground zero, I hear you, uh, the people of the United States hear you, and soon the people who did this are going to hear from all of us. I mean, I that still sends chills, and the response uh, by America, and, you know, we, we can't say enough praise and thanks to, to the heroes of, of September 11th that put themselves on the line, many perished. Uh, and many uh, folks were also, I mean, Ron Brown will tell us the story of heroism with a former player of his from Brown University. He had a teammate and a player both from his time at Brown that were both first responders and both climbed into that inferno, uh, one on the North Tower, one on the South Tower, two different outcomes for those heroes and uh, Ron, uh, a native of New York, uh, really, uh, really pretty poignant conversation coming up. So uh, thoughts, prayers and love out to, to all uh, here in Nebraska and, of course, uh, those uh, around uh, the United States. Switching gears to some football, Mark. It is football. It is alternate uniform. It's a tribute today with uh, the uh, September 11th uh, with Nebraska's alternate uniforms. Uh, you have a, a, a picture of a football team right now as we hear the open every Saturday morning from Dean Wormer uh, putting the foot down. Well, is that the day today for Nebraska football? And uh, a lot of intrigue about this matchup. We all think we know what should happen, uh, what will happen with Nebraska. I know Oklahoma looms. I know Sparty's on the horizon. But uh, first things first with Nebraska uh, they're going to be playing a better team than what they faced against Illinois. Nebraska's two games in, heading into their third. And it kind of comes down to uh, the lines of scrimmage. Hey, uh, same Saturday, same take. Uh, it's going to be about the offensive and defensive lines for the Big Red today. And they're going to have their work cut out for them today. Uh, look, you don't want to make Buffalo to, out to be Clemson. No, no. They are not that. Um, but they are a quality opponent. Like, like, and I think that's the, probably the best way to put them is that they are 
they're not slouches. <laughs> they, you know, you, you watch their highlights against Wagner. There's a good 20 minute clip that's up right now. Um, it is an aggressive team that is sure of themselves is what stands out to me the most. So you compare that to Nebraska where it seems like they're kind of fumbling around for an identity and, you know, can't quite figure stuff out that that's the opposite with these guys. Uh, they're, they're the, they're the Mac East preseason champs. Uh, they're, they're, that's who folks are thinking are going to win their side of the division. Um, they were last year. They're really physical on the ground. They're committed to the ground game. Uh, they have a veteran quarterback. The, the, the tailback marks, even though he's only started like five games, he's one of Buffalo's all time leading rushers. Cause you know, he was part of a two headed monster last year. He's slippery. He's got good moves. Their backup is two. They look sort of like natural running backs, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. where they just kind of they wait for the hold to develop and then they boom, they hit it. Um, you know, slippery, quick feet. It, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not going to be easy, man. I mean, it's it's not a. And if put it this way, if it is, if it is easy and it looks easy, that's a really good sign. That's a really good sign for Nebraska because they are they're facing a quality opponent, man. They're they're, they're just going to be a tough out. They have all conference level defenders. They have all conference level offensive players. Yes, it's the Mac, but it's not like Nebraska's rolling out with a bunch of all conference level Big Ten players. So I think talent wise, at least starters, ah, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say Nebraska has some huge decisive talent advantage today. I really don't think they do. They do have a depth advantage. The heat will play a factor. Uh, but, yeah, you don't waltz into this one and be like, all right, take care of this Mac team real quick and on to Oklahoma. No, no, no. You, you, better, you better pay attention today, and you better be as motivated as they are. Uh, that, that's a winning culture that Nebraska is playing today. You nailed it. It's a team that, that knows how to win. Coach Frost touched on that Monday at his presser. Three straight bowl games, two trips to the MAC title game. Uh, Lance Leopold and KU got ended ended up getting worked last night, but they were in the game longer against Coastal Carolina than some of this some of us thought they would be. And uh, Leipold's an elite coach, and uh, linguist has you know a, a great coaching history under his belt. His first time as a a head guy. But you get that combination of a young, energetic guy trying to make a statement in his his first uh, soiree as a head coach uh, on top of uh, what's been built and kept and preserved at Buffalo, that culture, that mindset, that winning mentality. It is tough. This is a necessary game for Nebraska football. We talk about Scott Frost. We talk about his tenure. We talk progress. And you want to see it. This is a game that it's going to be potentially painful from time to time because Buffalo is going to make their plays offensively and defensively. But it's a game, if you want to talk about buttoning up and cleaning up and getting better, it's a game that's going to force Nebraska's hand at that to win. And it's it's going to be one of those situations where long-term, if Nebraska is able to triumph today, uh, it's because they did make steps to be a better, you know, form of themselves against a high-level opponent in Buffalo. No, they're not Clemson. You nailed that. But this is one of those kind of kind of half-to games for Nebraska uh, when it comes to policing themselves, being better themselves, and then translating that to a, 
uh, a complete four-quarter game on uh, on a hot Saturday afternoon in Lincoln. So it's something that uh, will will hurt momentarily, potentially. Uh, you still got a chance to 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 put your stamp on it, and it is a chance to to gather some momentum. If you're Nebraska, it's a chance to continue that confidence train that you. You pick some speed up with your Fordham win quarters two, three, and four last week. So, no, this is something I'm glad it's on the schedule. I'm glad Nebraska is going to touch gloves with Buffalo. And we'll see where things are at around 7 o'clock tonight, Elijah. Yeah, and it just feels like we're saying the exact same things we were saying two weeks ago leading into that Illinois game. Where you're talking about uh, it's going to be a well-coached football team. They've got experience. Uh, Nebraska's got to establish the run so they can use their depth. Oh, guess what? The heat's going to be a factor today against a first-year head coach. It just feels like all the same talking points that we were hitting before that Illinois game we're hitting today. And it comes down to the same keys for Nebraska. Clean up the mistakes uh, and really just flex your muscle as a team. If you can clean up the mistakes, you should be able to flex your muscle against a team that doesn't have as much talent uh, but could come and sting you. That's, it comes down to can Nebraska come out in front of the home fans uh, and play a clean football game and uh, I'd say win the turnover battle, the two things that they couldn't do against Illinois. You know, guys, I'm interested too to see just how see the performance on the field today, just how well the, the, the week of practice went for Nebraska, right? That's, that's your, that's your indicator. How did practice go during the week where guys locked in? Uh, did they get better? I mean, all those things that coaches talk about, but you know, Nebraska, uh, again, uh, a chance to, 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 to move forward. And I'm int- interested there. Cranach, let's sit on the O-line here real quick. We'll, we'll check in and do our rewind here. Ron Brown, uh, Nebraska offensive senior analyst and longtime assistant. He reflects on September 11th. That is coming up. But offensive line-wise, uh, you want to see that left side kind of round into form. Uh, Piper, uh, a better day last Saturday. Uh, you saw some good play by Brant Banks. Don't know that, that Bando's available for you as an option at left guard. Uh, you, you have Hickson that's shown some things and has history. And, of course, Turner Corcoran, uh, more steady play from him as he gets uh, back into his normal form. And even uh, a big Teddy <laughs> sighting last week. And, man, there's some excitement for him. As, as he's a young pup, but, man, he's showing some skill sets, at least early on in his career. Well, and it's kind of similar to what you saw from Corcoran last year. Uh, just in terms of being able to move at that size and having athletic feet, uh, not just being kind of a, a big old dumb lug, you know, like it's <laughs> somebody that can move that's athletic. And so Nebraska's got that in spades on the offensive line. I don't think it's a talent issue. Um, but there, there, there's not that. Things aren't happening in unison right now. And you hate to do it, but you compare it to, like, say, Iowa. Iowa, when you watch their line and they get going on their zone plays, it's it's a bit of a symphony, right? That entire offensive line is moving together, right? It's a it's a it's a it's a it's it's kind of pretty to watch. It's pre, it's you know as far as ugly offensive line plays go, the, the results it's, are it's, well, and but their steps are in unison. Everything's the same. It just they're a unit, right? They're, they're they're moving together. You're not seeing that a whole lot with Nebraska yet. You you did see a little bit towards you know once the second quarter got lathered up into the third and fourth, 
where, of course, some backups started getting some playing time, too. You started to see signs of it. Um, but that's a group that's got to play together better. And that only comes with time. And I, I, it's kind of why I like this game, because I feel like Buffalo is kind of like a Big Ten team, really. Just the way they're designed and just the way they play. Um, being that committed to the running game, being physical like they are. They're, they're sort. I think they would probably fare as a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team. Uh, stylistically and otherwise. So it comes at a good time for Nebraska. They have, uh, look, talent has not been the problem. But we're in year four and we're still trying to figure out what the offensive identity is, right? And I think we know what they want to be, we think, (laughs) which is, as Marquis Stepp said, get that bleep downhill. (laughs) Uh, But are are they going to actually do it? This, This is what I worry about. Honestly, you go back and look at the 07 season and Nebraska came out and thumped Nevada. I think it was like 52 to 7, something like that. Nevada was not very good. Um, and and Nebraska ran for a lot of yards, but they it, it was like 400 some yards they ran against them, which I'm equating to kind of Fordham in this case. Mm-hmm. But it didn't even though they got a lot of yards, it wasn't you didn't come away super confident. Right, because there there weren't a lot of big plays. There were still some errors, blah, blah, blah. Then Nebraska goes and gets trounced by USC, and then Ball State barely survived by a point, um, and then the rest of the season falls apart. I I don't think it's going to be like that this time around because Nebraska actually has a better defense, but I want to see just out-and-out competence, consistency in the run game, and some big plays. Amen. We'll see where it goes. The rewind on the way. Uh, former Nebraska assistant, current senior offensive analyst Ron Brown, his remembrance of September 11th, the Tail Varsity Weekend, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Early to rise with Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We bring in senior offensive analyst, longtime coach, a number of years with Nebraska football, Ron Brown with his coach. Uh, gorgeous fall weather out there. How you been? Great. Yeah, it is. It was really a, a cool 55 maybe this morning going out, so that was noticeably different. Refreshing. Feels like autumn. It's been great. So are you a non-sleeves guy? A non-sleeves guy. Yeah. I'm a long sleeves guy. <laughs> so, I used to be. I used to be when I had muscles. Uh, I used to be a no sleeves guy, but <laughs> now I'm a long sleeves guy. That's all right. <laughs> you know, I still think no. you, you still work out pretty heavy, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. I work out quite a bit. So, yes, speaking of uh, staying and being in shape, Trev is back at Nebraska. Can Trev still get out there and get after the quarterback about seven, eight plays? Yeah, if we put his hand on the ground, I think so. I mean, there was a time there. Where Trev that we were standing him up a lot until sometimes he was rushing, sometimes he was dropping. He was really, I think, uh, and of course he was very good then too, but when we put his hand on the ground, particularly his senior year, he was dynamic. I mean, he was really tough to stop uh, as a full-time rush guy. So, uh, yeah, he had uh, fantastic abilities. As a matter of fact, um, I literally saw him vertical leap 41 inches from a standstill for the NFL scouts and uh you know that was impressive he was probably around 260 pounds at the time when he did it so pretty impressive uh back in the day then he got around the the edge so quick and was great against the run but I remember 
obviously against Charlie Ward, but I just the UCLA game. I mean, his career, even going back to uh, that that Halloween night game against Colorado, uh, he was all over it. I mean, a true great, obviously college football Hall of Famer. Did he play at two sixty in, in Lincoln, or was he a little lighter? Well, I think for the most of his career, he was a little lighter. But uh, as as the NFL scouts were coming around at the end of his senior year, he, uh, I think, started to beef up. And, uh, um, you know, through his workouts mm-hmm. and so forth, he was probably going to be a in the National Football League, a down guy. So uh, it made sense. But he was uh, he was impressive. He was twitchy and uh, and he was explosive. Ron Brown's with us on Hale Varsity Radio, Coach. You you were featured with BTN's Tunnel Walk program last night, and uh, wanted to spend a few minutes with you on your recollection and uh, the, the Rice game. Not long after the terrorist attacks, Let, let's go back though to to September 11th. You uh, are, are a man who grew up on the East Coast, that part of the country. Obviously, still even 20 years later, mourning what. what what happened? How did 9-11 affect you? Well, it was shocking, uh, Schmitty, I think, as it was for everybody in the country. But particularly, you know, I'm, I'm originally from New York City, and I lived there for a while. Uh, I remember waking up uh, years ago. You know, I lived up in Washington Heights, Harlem area, right on the right on the, the coastline there of the Hudson River. So on a clear day from around 152nd Street, wherever it was I was at, 155th Street, I could look straight down the Hudson River uh, and see the Twin Towers, you know, pretty easily on a clear day. To watch from the television set here on that Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, we were here in the football offices uh, getting ready for another day of practice, you know, to watch those shocking scenes in New York City via television was a tremendous blow, I think, to our country and to uh, to everybody, and certainly from a guy who had lived in New York City. So, yeah, it was pretty shocking. You know, I think our, our nation really responded well. I appreciated uh, President Bush's response to this is not, we're not going to just sit down here and play dead and act afraid and be afraid. So there was a, it was an inspiration. And, you know, Shemini, I often think, you know, football's like that. You know, sometimes you get hit in the mouth. Sometimes the things aren't going your way. Sometimes you get surprised attacked. Now, look, I don't want to equate anywhere near the game of football with what took place in 9-11 and our true first responders at 9-11. I had a college teammate that was a first responder, college football teammate in Charlie Margiotta. I played with me at Brown University in the Ivy League. We were in the same class. We were together in school for four years, who was a Staten Island fireman. And as a first responder, with three little girls at home and his wife, uh, Charlie Margiotta courageously did what first responders do in difficult situations. And he went into a bl- that blazing inferno, one of those twin towers, and lost his life trying to rescue lives. And so don't hear me equating a football and a football game with what Charlie Margiotta did post-football in his life. The real deal. Uh, he paid an ultimate sacrifice. My heart goes out. But football does give us a reminder of what it is to have situations in your life where things aren't always easy or good and what's your response and his first response was go rescue lives it's not about me it's not about my life i'm going to i'm going to put my life on the line for others and so that meant everything to me that means a lot to me and uh I'll always remember Charlie Maragiata, uh, Schmitty, and I'll, I'll never forget the fact that it, it was 20 years, Schmitty, before I even heard from Charlie Marjorie after we had graduated. 
and he was calling me a couple of weeks before 9-11. I hadn't heard from the guy in 20 years since we had graduated. I just felt like it was the Lord just wanted me to know and be reminded of what it, what it means to live a courageous life. He, he had contacted me to see if we could have, uh, you know, some football reunions and so forth. And I told Charlie, I'm coaching. I can't, I can't get there in the autumn. Uh, but he kept trying me. And then the next thing I know, he's gone in 9-11. So, yeah, it impacted me a great deal. And it, it, that was a very special year for me because of 9-11. Ron Brown's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Ron, did you have a chance to, to reach out to Charlie's family? I did talk to his wife, but it was prior to the, the 9-11 mm-hmm. incident. We've had some commemorations at the university for him. But to hear his wife's voice... Um, to know that he had, I think he might have had three young girls. It breaks my heart, Schmitty. I had another player named Mike Benfonte, who was a defensive back for me at Brown University. Of course, I had graduated and so forth. On that same day, 9-11, little did I know that Mike Benfonte entered a blaze, that blazing inferno as well, one of those buildings. And he climbed up to maybe around the 100th floor, and he rescued a woman in a wheelchair, an elderly woman in a wheelchair, became a national hero, was on Oprah Winfrey show, was on this, that, and the other, and I got a chance to talk to him. So I had two guys who I knew very closely from football, one a former player, uh, excuse me, one a former teammate, and one a former player of mine. One went in to rescue lives and died. The other went in to rescue lives and lived to tell about it. But the fact is, is that their first response was to go into a dangerous situation on a rescue mission. Uh, that, I'll tell you, that, that's special. And uh, that, I'll, I'll always remember 9-11 for that. And uh, I'll be reminded that Rice game that we played when Coach Osborne gave that great message uh, over, the, over the loudspeaker to 80,000 people, whoever, and all the first responders that we saw, all of that, Schmitty, uh, touches my life. I remember it like it was yesterday. Ron Brown's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, as a leader, what, what were you able to do to, to comfort and calm uh, your kids that were playing for you and, and also maybe members on staff? I think Frank Solis did a really good job. You know, we went out to practice that day, Schmidt, uh, after the t- the two planes had uh, uh, blasted those twin towers. We we saw the damage on TV. We were shocked. We heard some of the stories. We were going to hear more later. But uh, that afternoon, we practiced in the afternoon back then. I'll never forget it. You know, there were no planes in the sky that day. Remember, they had canceled all the flights. And it was an eerie feeling because while we practiced in Memorial Stadium each day, we always saw planes flying over, you know, going to the Lincoln Airport, going to Omaha, uh, or coming from those two airports. But uh, in this this particular day, Tuesday afternoon, September 11, 2001, there were no planes except, Schmidt, except we saw two planes during practice. And... We believe it was Air Force One with uh, President Bush and, I I think, an accompanying plane, either heading to Omaha or heading from Omaha. We all stopped. Everybody stopped. Committee, there were no cell phones back then. We just all stopped, and we took mental pictures, visual pictures that turned mental. We didn't have anything to take pictures with, uh, but we stopped, and everybody looked up in the sky, and we just assumed that, 
hey, that's got to be President Bush. I, it, it, it seemed like that was the case. Now, I, I, we could be wrong, but that was our assessment of the situation. The only planes in the sky that day. I wish I had a camera. I wish I, I had a, a phone or something where we could have taken that picture. But we were all moved by that. And, and not only that, but we were honored um, not only by us being asked to play the first game back from college football versus Rice, but it was done suddenly, Schmitty. It was, an, it was a fast turnaround, the decision to play Rice, to, to change the schedule a little bit, to play Rice on that, uh, the, not the next Saturday after 9-11, but the, the following Thursday night in a, in a game. Uh, it was amazing. Our people in the state of Nebraska – um, fill the stadium, 76,000 people, uh, changed their plans in a heartbeat, faster than a lamb could shake its tail, that people changed their plans and packed that stadium. We had, uh, we had adjusted our classes. We got our players over to the East Campus where we normally stay the night before a game. On Wednesday night, we were able to, to do that. The university made leaps and bounds to accommodate and Dennis LeBlanc and our academic staff did a great job of reassessing our classes and so forth, and our players got ready to play. We played a great game that, that Thursday night uh, against a pretty good Rice team led by Ken Hatfield. Um, I'll always remember. I'll always remember the first responders. I'll remember the, the message from Coach Osborne, which was, I thought, a great message. Um, I'll remember the national anthem. Uh, I remember taking a knee in the national anthem, not in rebellion to anything, but to get on my knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and thank God that, that I, I lived in a nation um, that offered us protection and offered us uh, the opportunity to not sit back and, uh, uh, and play dead, uh, but to, to rise up. A nation that, uh, uh, that bore a city like, the, like New York in that mass chaotic scene where people banded together. You know, New York takes a big rap sometimes against uh, being personable and so forth, but those people rose up um, and um, helped one another out and, and set a great example of, of what it means for strangers, people who don't normally talk to one another, to come around each other and, and rebound. And we had a chance during a difficult time to get our senses back together, get, get, get our feet back on the ground, not only to play a great game against Rice, but to have a great season. Schmitty, we went on to play in the national championship game uh, that year against the University of Miami. That didn't turn out so well, the game. But the season, we had a Heisman Trophy winner and Eric Crouch. Um, we, we miraculously got into the national championship game through a weird set of circumstances. It was before the bowl playoffs and all those kinds of things. But it, it was a memorable year uh, for a lot of reasons. And I think with the, 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 I think the, the, the whole outline of, the, of the, what happened at 9-11 helped shape the character of that of our football team and remind us that we live in a great nation and we were excited that not only the president of the united states but the people would get us back to doing things as as we always do and we were honored to be that first football game that got people back in the stands on saturday had military protection but just these games became reminders of the american spirit that we have Ron Brown's with us, Sale Varsity Radio, Senior Offensive Analyst Coach. This was incredible to hear your story and your connection. And uh, 
kind of diving deep with us with uh, some some loved ones you've known in your career, uh, former teammate and, and a former player. Thanks for sharing. A quick thought, Coach, on on uh, 2021 Nebraska and just where you think things are going offensively. I know you're a senior offensive analyst. Uh, last week to, to this week, did you did overall did you like the improvement you saw? Yeah, I do. I, I do, uh, Schmitty. We we started off slow. You know, I think that was pretty recognizable. We had the ball on the ground early on and a um, couple of hitches there. But we worked through it. And, you know, again, uh, you, you have to look at friction and not just keep slipping and sliding. You've got to turn the friction into traction. And uh, I think our kids did a good job of that. They were able to flush things and move uh, and move forward. Um, hats off to Fordham. They, they played tough. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're a one A team. They're not a well-known team, but they came in here and they battled. They had some real competitive kids. That Mike linebacker they had, number 47, mm-hmm. and 30 tackles. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. But I'll tell you what, he stayed in the game the whole time. And, I mean, that guy was playing. And he was in remarkable physical condition, conditioning. He just uh, he just played his heart out throughout that day. Uh, so you you can appreciate uh, players like that and teams that come in here under the, you know, under adverse conditions and situations, not a well-known program, and, and battle the way they did. But our kids really picked things up as time went on. And so we made some improvement, there's no question. Um, and there's still a lot to improve on, and we're excited about uh, about continuing to move forward. Ron Brown with us. Ron, we'll, we'll do this again, Coach, and thanks for your time today. Oh, you bet, Schmitty. God bless you. Thanks for, for doing a show on this because uh, although it was tough for us as Americans, the, the real test of who you are as a man and as a woman and as a person comes from and comes through adversity and the resiliency that was shown through that time here in Nebraska by our people in particular was exceptional. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Nash Hedmonker with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Nash, uh, well, what do you usually do on Labor Day weekend before college? Was it a big grill day? Oh yeah, it was uh, big out on the river. Out on the river day for me. We live right on the Missouri River, so it was out on the boat or just hanging out with friends, grilling, doing. I mean, just doing whatever. So, how do you do your walleye? Uh, we do it all kinds of different ways. My daddy's fried it, grills it, bakes it. I mean, we can do it. My favorite way, personally, is fried. But I mean, we do it all kinds of different ways. Beer batter? Yep, yep. Usually beer batter. That's a that's a go-to. Well, how's uh, how's camping going for you? How's uh, the progress uh, been for you as you continue to to make your way? Um, camp camp went really well for me. Um, just showing up every day, ready to go to work, uh, trying to get better every every day. It's uh, that's that was my mindset the whole entire camp. And um, coach, she's told me that I'm doing a tremendous job. But I mean, that's that's you don't stop there. You got to keep working every single day, trying to get better. And um, the older guys in the room, they've been. Um, They've been really support, or really helped me to become even better. Now that um, I'm starting to be in, the, I'm starting to get better. They just they want nothing more than for us, all the young guys, not even just me. All the young guys do um, get better every single day. 
Coach Tuioti, how's how's he continued to mentor and and help kind of hone technique and, and what's being asked of you? Yeah, he's uh, he's helped a lot. He uh, just he just reminds me every day that um, I got to prepare like I'm I'm going to be starting on a Saturday. He says you got to prepare just like these guys do, so that way when it's your time, when your number's called, that you're going to just roll right in there and it's going to be like nothing changed. It's going to be like the, another one of those older guys are out there. So that's kind of the mindset that I take into practice and the meetings and everything is just trying to soak all all of it up and prepare like I am going to be the one that's starting on Saturday. When it comes to to game speed and and what you're you're seeing in practice versus game day, how how has that transition been? Is it still uh, a work in progress? Is it slowing down? How do you, how comfortable are you? Um, I'm I'm starting to get more and more com- I mean more and more comfortable with each week. Um, getting out there, um, I got in seven snaps and. Um, I felt after the first couple, then I felt like, all right, this is, you know, it's the same speed as you get when you're going against our line in practice. You know, it's, it's all the same blocks, same stuff. It's just now we're in front of 90,000 people. So when you think about it that way, to me, it just kind of helps slow it. I mean, it helps slow it back down basically instead of having it just feel like everyone's running around with their hair caught on fire and just stuff's moving. It's the same stuff you see in practice. There's no secret block. You know, all the blocks are always going to be the same. And, um, that's kind of how I approach it. Is it? Does it feel overwhelming at first, though, with the crowd and the moment and stepping on the field, or is it easier to just kind of treat it like, well, it's just it's just football? Yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it is just football, right? But no, that first snap I went out there, I was, you know, fans going crazy. It was it was definitely. I wouldn't say overwhelming, but it just seemed it was a lot. And then after that first snap, then I was just like, all right, you know, it's just an, it's another day, um, and that's all it is. Um, and so that's kind of how I thought about it. But yeah, definitely, definitely that first snap, I was pretty nervous out there. So when it comes to Nash Hudmacher's with us here on Hale Varsity, so when it comes to I guess knowing to, how to. And, and being able to play fast, but also, all right, here's the, the blocking scheme they're going to work against you. Take me through a little bit, if you can, that technique, the coaching that goes into the prep for Saturday with how an O-lineman may attack you. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a film thing. You know, you watch guys. Obviously, you can't get the exact look they're going to give you in practice, but it's you know you know what to expect when you're watching the film. Um like I said, there's no no secret block. It's all it's all really the same blocking schemes. You know, they might do it a little different, but at the end of the day, as long as you just play your man on key and play, do what you're supposed to do, you should be. I mean, you should be fine. Who have you gone up against uh, in practice that that's kind of honed your skills and, and you've honed theirs? What's the uh, the competition been like for you in practice? Yeah, during fall camp, especially when I started getting some more reps against our one one guys, um, Cam Jurgens, Max Sichterman, um, all the interior guys, you know, left right guards, and Cam Jurgens, those guys. I mean, that helps tremendously when you get to go against those better guys in practice. Just it helps you with the speed of the game, helps you with um, knowing what a starting lineman in the Big Ten is going to feel like, basically. And so those. Those, all those interior guys have helped me tremendously throughout camp. And then now that we're into the season, it's just keep working on the, I mean, the techniques and all that stuff to get it right. So last thought here, Nash Hudmacher with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, when it comes to, to, to Buffalo, how much prep have you guys got in on? And, and overall, just the, the rotation, how... How good does it feel to have the amount of depth you have at your position group? Um, 
we whatever we just have, we're doing our normal prep just like it's you know uh, Chen's always says nameless faceless opponent and that's how we approach it every week do everything right to, during the week and then the depth in our position is awesome it allows me to grow grow a ton instead of me just getting thrown out there when you know I, may, I might not quite be ready um, so the, those older guys having that depth have just helped me out a ton in my development and um, yeah that's pretty much it I guess are, are you pretty you seem well, obviously you want to play ball, but you seem pretty mature patience-wise, knowing that, all right, kind of biding my time, getting better versus, all right, jump into the deep end of the pool. Is that a bit comforting? Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, um, obviously I want to I want to get out there as much as I can, but it's, uh, you, sometimes you got to kind of know your role, and right now my role is that um, I feel that I'm that next guy up, and I, I know that um, those guys in front of me—they're great football players. Obviously, they—they—they they, they put in time, and they—they they deserve that. And so I'm just—I'm preparing every week, like I'm going to be the guy getting out there for the start, and it, it's going to—it's going to come if I keep doing what I've been doing, getting better. Last thought about wrestling: How have you been able to translate what you've done in wrestling and how successful you were with that to? To, to football and has it helped you uh, in in Big Ten play and in your time here at Nebraska? I mean, yeah, there's it definitely you can transition football to wrestling. It's it's obviously a lot different, but just um, body awareness, leverage, stuff like that. Just I mean, couldn't tell you how much it helps, but it's definitely something that I feel like doesn't hurt anything having that background. So it's uh, it definitely definitely could help a lot. Or I, I mean, I just I don't really know. I guess no, that's fine. Conditioning wise, though, I guess. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, how crazy has conditioning been for you with with wrestling, and how how does it compare to conditioning for football? Um, it's just a lot different for football. You know, football you're running maybe on a play the max you're running is 10 yards whereas wrestling it's a six we always thought of it as a six minute sprint so you, you just train different for each you know i went on a lot more longer runs here it's just more sprints here it's just um so it's just it's the same amount of conditioning it's just different kind of conditioning basically nash thanks for the time man nice to spend time with you yeah appreciate it now it's time to get back to the hail varsity radio show with chris schmidt and mark cranak all right that's it you two guys leave me no choice no television for a week. What? Back in weekend edition, Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Mark Kradek, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark, uh, an audible today, 9 to 11, leading into Ohio State and Oregon. Reminder about our friends at Power, our road shows, and we're in Norman next weekend, Arrow Brokerage. Help and provide that, a full-service real estate brokerage firm and operated by local real estate investors. They specialize in investment for you. That's just the beginning. They're a mighty team of talented and uh, high-quality realtors that are there to help clients and all faculties of real estate. That includes buying, selling, staging, and investing, and much more. Uh, be sure to contact uh, Jenny Limbach or Marcus Schmidt for more information. To do that, uh, can email uh, Arrow Capital, uh, Arrow Brokerage at uh, brokerage at arrowlincoln.com. The website, arrowlincoln.com backslash, backslash brokerage. And on your socials, Facebook at Arrow Lincoln, uh, Arrow LNK for Facebook and for Instagram at Arrow underscore Lincoln, a big thanks to uh, Arrow Brokerage for helping power our road shows. First things first, Buffalo in front of Nebraska. We welcome in managing editor with HailVarsity.com and magazine author with John Cook. Dream like a champion. 
Vogues, it's the dreaded Mac opponent this Saturday. Good morning. Thanks for the time. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? We're good. We are good. And uh, a lot of folks will be checking out uh, the I-80 podcast from Brandon Vogel, the corned beef edition that dropped on uh, on Wednesday, Vogues. And you've done a pretty deep dive into Buffalo. If you had to pick the, the most impressive thing about the Bulls as they come into Lincoln today, what sticks out about them to you? Uh, well... In a, in a more nuts and bolts sense, and it's it's tough that that opening game against Wagner. Um, there, there's not a ton to I think take from that, other than to get a look at okay, well this is what they're going to look like under a new coaching staff, and it, it, you know it, it looked a lot like Buffalo has chosen to play in the past, and and the thing that stood out there has been that run game. Uh, they they traditionally find good backs for for a MAC level team, and really lean on it and, and, and run the ball often. They, they play like a big 10 team. Uh, that's what they did under Leipold. It'll probably continue to shift a little bit under Maurice Linguist, uh, but it, it didn't against Wagner. And I think if you're going into this game, that's the thing you have to prepare for. I guess the, the bigger thing is uh, since, since 2018, Buffalo has the best record against the spread of, of any team in the country. And, you know, that was kind of the, the height of that Leipold era, which I don't mention from any sort of, like, betting or not betting perspective. I just look at that as a way as, is this a team that consistently kind of overachieves or consistently underachieves? And you could look at the Bulls' record and, and have a pretty good sense. But even when you handicap it a little bit by, by giving them points or taking points away, still, they, they, their, their program in the past has, has found a way to win. And that might be the actual most dangerous thing about the, the game today. Brandon, when you watched them, uh, I'm sure you've watched you know some some highlights and, and dove into the numbers. I think the biggest thing that stands out is just their commitment to the running game, and then their creativity within it. Right? I, I don't I don't think they're a. I think Nebraska fans will actually appreciate <laughs> how they how they attack on offense because I think that's what Nebraska fans want to see out of their team. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they do remind you know they remind me a little bit of Minnesota in in that way. Um, right. Last year, they ran the ball almost 66% of the time. Um, so you know what you're signing up for, yet still average 43 points a game while doing that, uh, which which isn't easy. That means you not only do you have to have consistent success, but you've got to have some guys who can, who can hit on some big runs. And, of course, Patterson, their running back last year, is, is in the NFL. Kevin Marks Jr., uh, their one B-back who is there this year, is, is probably headed there. Um, so they've just, it's Buffalo. When you look at it either strictly in preparation for this game or in a broader sense, they've really had a good thing going for, for quite a while. Brandon Vogel's with us here. Weekend edition, Hail Varsity Radio at Brandon L. Vogel is where you follow him on Twitter, talking Nebraska and Buffalo, you know, with this Buffalo defense, a little bit undersized on the line. Uh, that said, they still have Riggins and, and Patterson that, that fly around to the football. What, what, what's a percentage in your mind for Nebraska to go boom rather than bust here? If Buffalo's going to blitz, if they're going to get aggressive, God forbid they get pressure with just four today. But <laughs> say they, they dial up some, some exotics here and, and Nebraska has some one-on-one opportunity 
how often do you think Nebraska has to hit on those for a big play? I think that's going to be huge for the, for the Big Red today. Yeah, um, it, it'll be interesting. You, I think if you're Nebraska, you want to see those those pass attempts stay under 30. Um, if they don't, that means you were probably really struggling to run the ball. And if you're really struggling to run the ball against a team like this, that uh, 10th nationally in sack rate last year, as you mentioned, you know, you look at that defensive line and the size and say, oh, well, you just kind of pound it and hope you have this cumulative effect on these undersized defensive linemen. Not undersized. They're just a little bit longer and leaner than what you're used to mm-hmm. seeing in the Big Ten. Um, and on a super hot day, hope it hope it shows up in the second half. Well, Nebraska's run game hasn't been consistent. It's handoff run game, I should say. hasn't been consistently good enough through two games. Now, it's not a huge sample size. Um, maybe they'll they'll continue to improve as a young offensive line and be better. Um, but I, I put the sack number at once you get above two, um, you, you're probably probably in some, some danger there. So figure 25 to 30 dropbacks, you're talking about five or 6%. I think you'd need to match that in terms of, well, now you need to exceed that by quite a bit, actually, to – in terms of those big passing plays I'm talking about. So if you hit, say, 12 to 15% on 15-yard-plus passes, you might be able to neutralize that a little bit. Uh, completion percentage, we'll see. That was kind of the, the one weak spot for Buffalo defensively, and it wasn't huge, but compared to everything else, was they did tend to give up some big passes last year. To do that, though, you got to have some time, and we'll also see sort of – what Nebraska's pass-catching availability is when you look at tight end and, and wide receiver going into this one. Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Small sample size, like you mentioned, but through two games in the red zone. A couple of things stand out for Nebraska, and I'm just wondering what you think that means, if anything. One, the opponents have only been in the red zone three times the whole year, and they've scored on all three of those. But through two games, one and a half trips to the red zone, not bad for your opponents. Nebraska has been there 11 times and scored touchdowns on nine of them um, and field goals on the other two. So hundred percent so far when Nebraska gets in the red zone, do, do you think that means much when, when you look at, it, it seems like Nebraska one gets to the red zone quite a bit and two keeps the other keeps their opponents out of it. Yeah, there's, there's, there's enough there. Well, starting with offense to, to be somewhat encouraged because this has been a, con, a consistent problem for Nebraska over the past three years. Now, the, the bulk of those, those numbers that you just mentioned came against Fordham, of course. Um, so, yeah, yeah, maybe deduct a little, a little for that, but it's certainly better than the alternative. It's a lot better than it looks if uh, their numbers were similar to the past at, at this stage, no matter who you've played. So the Illinois game, you know, we, we obviously had that, the, the missed touchdown uh, that, that we all remember that ended in a field goal, but you, you put it in greater context. Well, that's, that's kind of the one where you, you settled for three instead of took seven. So, so we'll see. In, in a game like this, where you know Buffalo has some explosive playability, but it's it's going to be a team that runs the ball quite a bit. You're looking at long drives, um, so so finishing inside the twenty or even inside the forty. 
can, can become how those games get decided if, if turnovers are relatively even. Defensively, I, I think you, you hit on something. One of the things with Nebraska last year, and, and this is one that you know maybe you could have projected just based on experience, was it, it wasn't getting a ton of three and outs early in, in drives. You know, teams tended to have the ball for six, seven plays, almost not no matter what, but the majority of the time they did. And you've seen that, that stop a little bit. This defense, I think, has the ability to – well, Eric Schneider said this week, you know, when it stays assigned and sound, it can be pretty good. Um, so I, I think that's factoring in. And, yeah, better than playing great red zone defense is not being in the red zone at all. <laughs> That'd be key uh, with uh, Nebraska. And, you know, I go back to that Illinois game, and, and you, you had that third-quarter drive, right, that, that was just – a killer on top of the way the first half ended with the scoop and score. And I remember our, our favorite quarterback named Art, right? It's third and seven. It's just around the 40 or so. And, and Art, not known for being fleet of foot, says, oh, bleep, there's nobody open. I better tuck and fall forward on a third and about seven. He gets seven and a half. The drive continues. There could be a lot of those moments uh, today for Nebraska. Now, a week ago, you had Fordham get to the 40 twice, and uh, Deontay and JoJo came to the rescue. Two of the three turnovers were forced on Nebraska's side of the field. I don't know that Buffalo's got fumbleitis, but, Vogues, do you think Nebraska's secondary or back, back seven could be problematic again when it comes to takeaways? Could they, could they have another big weekend? Uh, yeah, it's it, if there's a if there's a ton of takeaways and giveaways in this game, I'm I'm looking more towards the fumble side okay. than, than the, the the interception side. Um, you know, the, Nebraska's pass defense uh, they got the three takeaways last year or last week. Um, I think you can attribute a lot of that to they got better pressure mm-hmm. up, up front, which which helps quite a bit, but. Van Trees, Buffalo's quarterback, I think he only has, you know, so he's he started 19 career games but played over the course of four and a half seasons now. I think he only has five career interceptions, five or six. Um, I don't remember the exact number. Like, he's, you know, he's pretty smart with the football, and, and he's really a good complement to, well, a team that runs the ball 65% of the time. I mean, I know we mentioned it a couple times, but, you just look at Buffalo and, and their numbers and, and watch a little bit of that Wagner game and what they've been prior to that. They just kind of feel classically Big Ten, which is an interesting clash in styles when, when you look at, you know, Nebraska came in and specifically set out to kind of not not be that team. And, and they've kind of they've had to adjust as, as uh, under this coaching staff as they've got used to this league. But it's still not a team that's, you know, designed to be Northwestern or, or Wisconsin. Buffalo's closer to that. Um, they don't do it with, with Big Ten level talent, but they've done it at a pretty high level regardless. Brandon Vogel's with us. Hail Varsity, Don Common Magazine, managing editor, of course, his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion, previewing Nebraska and, uh, and Buffalo today. The offensive side for Nebraska, you, you mentioned the, the pitch count, so to speak, for Adrian throwing the football. Vogue's a feel here with. You know who we may see more of today. Is this a, is this a step game, a to be continued from from last week, 
or are things cleaned up enough on the offensive line you can let some of the speed and elusiveness of of Irvin or even Morrison maybe eat a little bit today? Yeah, I, I think it's best for Nebraska if it's mostly a step game. And that's it, it's hard to, based on what we've seen so far, kind of sort out those running backs, at least it is to me. Um, and, and I think the coach staff still trying to, uh, hoping for somebody to really kind of step up and say, well, clearly I'm the best one here and other people are going to come in be after that. Um, but it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a grind, I think. And we saw against Illinois, uh, Nebraska got away from the run pretty early. Uh, do they do that again on Saturday? If, if it's a little bit of tough sledding, we'll see. I think, I think step is, is kind of your best back for that. Now with Buffalo's ability to rush the passer, you might say, well, that kind of limits the true freshman Irvin, but I think he's probably one of their best pass protectors back there. Um, Nobody did great against Illinois, but he had at least one highlight play in in that game in terms of pass pickup. So uh, I think you'll see a good, a good amount of him. And then Morrison kind of remains the wild card, you know, didn't play in that Illinois game, got, got some duty in in uh, the Fordham game. So we're kind of waiting to see, I'm still waiting to see from him what most of the coaches were talking about with fall camp. So I think you'll probably see all three of them at spots, but Steph probably would be my my lead dog there. If it is an attitude downhill thumper game for Nebraska to kind of impose their will, dare I go to a fourth name in the running back rotation? Could there be a Yant sighting? Maybe. I mean, he. it was pretty late in that Fordham game by the time that we saw him, and, you know, he, he runs tough. I, I would be surprised if this game got comfortable enough for, for Nebraska to feel like putting it in, even if, you know, it makes sense for, okay, we're grinding these drives out. It's, it's blazingly hot, and everybody's getting tired a little bit more quickly. I think there's still just a little bit of a ways to go for him, but – We'll see. You know, if Nebraska gets down there and in the red zone, specifically inside the 10 even, um, we haven't really seen them break out some of the packages that we know they, they at least showed in practice. Maybe it was all for show, but um, we'll see. You know, I know a lot of people were encouraged by, by Yant's kind of spot duty against the Rams. You know, speaking of encouragement, uh, have you been encouraged by some more option that you've seen? I know it's been Ray. In, uh, in in kind of the motion option, but there's the either the give or the fake to the to the up back. Adrian's been really precise with his pitch uh, out to Toure. I mean, uh, magician like from time to time. But it's not that Nebraska's not ever run any option. But man, more's better, man. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's something that I'd like to see more of in, in the Nebraska offense as, as maybe a go-to play. Uh, and, and I don't know, uh, does that get dialed up? Uh, just because it is, it is a bit of a curve to a defense uh, because who knows how much time Buffalo uh, has spent on, on, on prepping for that. They've seen it, but you know, is it, is it, could it be a go-to play on offense? Yeah, it looked, it looked really good last week. Um, and, and and I mean that in a literal sense. Like I thought, the the times that Nebraska ran that, uh, Martinez made really great 
pitch decisions. Um, like he kept the ball for the appropriate amount of time and he, he made a defender commit. And, and when a defender did, well, here's, here's Toure loop, looping around. Uh, I also really like it because, you know, Nebraska runs so much out of a, a single back set, which you can do. You just, you've got to be really excellent up front and with technique and you've got to have a running back with good vision. And I would say both of those things are still, works in progress at this point. So even if it's a slot wide receiver, you know, kind of motioning him back there and getting some two back sets, I think helps. Uh, I'm just getting greedy now because yes, I would like to see that, that play a little bit more. Uh, I also wondered if now you, you know, they probably average what nine yards per play on that last week. Uh, I, I wonder if we got the classic uh, option play action pass off of that too. So maybe, maybe we can look for that. You are. Let's take that greed a step further. And, and somebody wearing the, the jersey number of 86 streaking wide open down the seam, I mean, would that just be the cherry on top? It, it would. You, 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 know, you, you run that and carry it out, and then Adrian just steps back, and you, you look for some guy with, with a, a number in the weird 80s. Not like 80 or 88, but you're right. You need like 86, an 84, or an 87. That, that's what you're going for. You know, give me the old Jeff Carpenter number, uh, or make that Tim Carpenter number ninety, or or the Johnny Mitchell experience. I think Johnny can still go ball. To be honest with you, Brandon Vogels with us at Hale Varsity Weekend Edition, prepping for Nebraska and Buffalo. Uh, Toure looked good. I don't know if we see Oliver Martin today. There's been some some smoke about Omar and his health, not mental, but but physical, and. Uh, Vogues, you know who looks great, and maybe this is just stupid on my part or too simplistic, but how would it be to find Alante Brown on an eight-yard hitch and then let him take somebody dancing, right? I I know it was one play that was a six-yard gain that turned into 12 because he is so, well, Vogel-like side-to-side with his quickness. Man, um, it is... He is fun in open field. Just find him in space. Is it that easy? Well, I was watching Nevada or Utah State, North Dakota uh, last night, and <laughs> North Dakota was was giving him everything they wanted, and they Utah State came out and answered a uh, a scoring drive by just throwing a straight bubble to <laughs> their super fast slot receiver who was, like, lined up almost literally on the sidelines. He got one block, and he was gone. Like, he covered those 75 yards in, in no time. Nebraska needs, needs some of that. They, they need somebody who can do that. It, it's hard with, with Brown because we, we just haven't seen enough of him to know if, if he's that sort of guy, but you see flashes of it. And you mentioned, you know, Nebraska could be somewhat limited at, at wide receiver. We'll see. I, I thought – Oliver Martin, you know, and recorded the podcast midweek, like it was still a little bit more up in the air with him. Like I listened to him as one of the players to watch because I think he is probably Nebraska's best downfield threat. He's he's super athletic. And as we talked about, that's something you should be able to exploit against, against Buffalo. If he's not able to go, who who offers that? I mean, Toure can get you some of it from, from the slot. Austin Allen can be an option. Um, Nebraska's starting wide receivers outside of that, you know, have had some opportunities downfield and haven't been able to connect. I almost wonder if, you know, if it isn't a a, a bets game a little Mm -hmm. bit in that regard, Uh, he's, you know, hasn't been on the field consistently either, but 
Nebraska has to be able to take advantage of that, assuming they can protect Adrian Martinez. Who's going to be the guy to step up and do it? And it might be a game for a guy we haven't seen a lot of yet. Brandon Vogel, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogues, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Now it's time to get back to the Hail Varsity Radio Show with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. All right, that's it! You two guys leave me no choice. No television for a week. What? Back in weekend edition, Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach. Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark uh, getting broke in. Good to spend time with uh, those guys. We'll uh, hear from the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, uh, in just a moment. A reminder about your friends at Ferris Financial Group as uh, they power our road shows in Norman next weekend. Ferris Financial Group, their goal to educate, coach, and help you work towards your investment goals. They specialize in investment strategy and can also help with budgeting, planning, in overall strategy that includes times of transition whether you're starting a new job or going through a job change and are you contemplating retirement and your future plans let them handle your wealth and uh, ferris financial group there for you when it comes to goals and retirement marcus schmidt is who you contacted 402-525-6824 marcus.schmidt at lpl.com is an email and you can reach out and find more about Ferris Financial Group, ferrisfinancialgroup.com. Find them on Facebook at Ferris Financial Group, helping power Hale Varsity on the road this college football season. We say hi to the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Sharpie, a pretty somber day as we transition. Thanks for your time this morning. How you doing? Good. Thanks, Schmitty. Uh, yes, you know, 20 years ago today across the country, we're going to remember um, – kind of one of the first days that we all experienced evil and the great unknown. And, uh, but there was the moment, and, you know, Nebraska football playing today at home with the alternate special uniforms. It was Nebraska football 20 years ago that was a big help in this country and saying that it was okay to, to come back and uh, to be in a stadium and what sports could do to heal people and bring people together. And it's a moment that I know all of us were involved in that, that we'll never forget being on – the field on that Thursday night against Rice. But it'll be a – I think across college football today, we'll see a lot of special remembrances. Um, and our condolences go out to the people that have lost someone. And 20 years later, it doesn't seem like 20 years, it's, uh, it's 9-11 again. We remember the heroes, the first responders, fire, uh, rescue, law enforcement, military, uh, those that have – Lost loved ones, those that remember loved ones. Gary, uh, I want to go to, to your experience with uh, Nebraska football and in your long and great history of, of coverage, specifically uh, with you uh, on that Thursday night against Rice. I know BTN did a 30-minute feature on uh, the tunnel walk. Uh, what do you remember about that Thursday night? I know you, you touched on Nebraska being the first back to fill a stadium, being the first back to to have a football game. But with your role in your career, uh, can you kind of take us back, if you don't mind? Well, I was on the Husker Sports Network at the time, and I did the pregame show and then was the sideline reporter. And I remember that Thursday. First of all, it was – I think Nebraska had to do a lot of logistical things because they shut down campus at noon. So the parking lots could be open. open. And we were doing our pregame show then, 
from the university bookstore. And usually it was packed. There was a lot of activity. I just remember on this Thursday starting the show, and, you know, you're trying to choose your words wisely because there's the magnitude of the moment and, you know, what people are, are feeling and what they're about to experience. And I just remember it was really weird. There weren't a lot of people around. Uh, it almost felt like, okay, are we really playing a game? And then we got through the show, and I walked over to the stadium, and people were in the parking lots, and people were tailgating, but they didn't have the same buzz. And in my head, I'm wondering, wow, what is this going to be like when we get inside of the stadium? Well, when we got inside of the stadium, you saw that there was the sea of red, and then there was a mixture of red, white, and blue. And there was United We Stand t-shirts and bumper stickers. And then the tunnel walk happened, as people remember that night or saw in the BTN documentary. Now, about 15 minutes prior to that, I'm down on the field, and we usually do a quick little interview. And I was told, be prepared. The tunnel walk is going to look entirely different tonight. The teams are going to come out before the tunnel walk. And in my head, thinking, okay, what is going on here? And then Rice and Nebraska both come out of their respective locker rooms, and they line up the length of the field. So people really, I think, in the stands didn't realize what was going on. And then the tunnel walk plays, and that's where you first recognize something is different. They had the American flag on top of the, the dome at the Henry Dorley Zoo. And when you make the turn and you go down the path, when Nebraska came out of the South Stadium, locker room the doors open and we will never forget that moment to see the first responders coming out of the tunnel walk i will never forget the roar that happened from the fans when they saw that and the emotion i mean schmitty i mean i got goosebumps i still to this day get goosebumps and you know people around me were crying and smiling at the same time and the chance of usa united we stand gbr i mean it was a powerful moment in that stadium and kudos to everybody at Nebraska that was involved in putting it together because they met the moment. That is something that we needed, and Nebraska delivered in that moment. And then once you got past that and you got past the, 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 the sight of Matt as the, the, fire, the fireman uh, holding up an American flag, you were like, wow. Then the game started, and it started to feel normal again. The other moment that I will remember was post that, the next week, Nebraska goes to Columbia, and we fly down on the charter plane. And we land, guys, and the tarmac is kind of lined with military men and women with their weapons drawn. And you're like, whoa, things have changed. And that was our first flight after 9-11. But it's a day we'll never forget, and uh, 20 years later, you know, people will never forget it. And I'm sure that it will be pretty emotional in the stadium today. And Nebraska, as they did 20 years ago, We'll meet the moment with whatever they do pregame, during game, and after game. Gary Sharp's with us, the Iron Horse, Hail Varsity Radio. Gary, thanks for taking us through your experience. And each time I see footage, I mean, you, you just pause, and it is it is goosebumps still 20 years later. Did you have a hard time with, with your composure? I did. I mean, that's only this will remember where we're at on that Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Those of us that were in media have the, an additional layer that we'll never forget because we went into, okay, how do we cover this? Are we going to be on the air? What do I say when I get on the air? And I was hosting Sports Nightly at the time. We canceled the Tuesday night show. We came back and did the Wednesday night show on the day after, but I was working at KLIN in Lincoln, 
and I went in and I took over at about three o'clock and you're kind of just, you know, trying to gather as much news as possible. You've got President Bush that has landed it off at Air Force Base. It was just a, it was a moment that there was so much confusion. You didn't know what was going on. You didn't know after the first plane hit, oh, my God, just a tragic accident. And then the next one hit. And you wondered what is going on in our country. Um, but it was, you know, what was fantastic about that moment. And sports had such a key role. Baseball. You remember when the Yankees uh, or the, the Braves and the Mets played the first game? Mike Piazza hits a home run. You remember later in that same baseball season, President Bush throws out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium when they were taking on the Diamondbacks and how powerful that was. The, the things that went on around the NFL, you remember Jack Buck's speech. Sports had a certain place, and I just remember I had to do, I had to be a news guy and a sports guy, and I also had to be a worried American about what is going on. Gary Sharp's with us. Sharpie, you're so right about sports and helping bring America back and uh, the country's leadership was so stand up and uh, I was talking in hour one about President Bush, wherever you are politically, uh, where he was at at ground zero with the megaphone. And I I, I get chills thinking about that, where he was listening. Uh, he was empathetic, but he was also leading with uh, with uh, with being on site, at the scene, uh, trying to comfort as much as he could. I know you're a huge Cubs fan. Speaking of sports, another sports moment post-9-11. I know he didn't have the the end of his career like he would have wanted, but we were all caught up uh, late 90s, early 2000s with Sammy Sosa, right? Yes. And how cool was it when Sammy, a day or two after, once, once play resumed, Sammy always would run out of the dugout with the Cubs and, and point to the bleachers uh, in right and in center. Well, remember Sammy running out, running out with that little American flag? I mean, that, yeah, was, it, that was cool. Yeah, and it was, you know, the Cubs were at home when 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. and then they went, you know, you, you, they paused baseball, and then the Cubs went on the road, and that was a little bit later in September, and that was the first game, the Cubs back in Wrigley. And you're absolutely right, Schmitty, that – scene of Sammy Sosa sprinting out of the dugout to his spot in right field, carrying an American, a small American flag in his hand as he ran through the outfield. I mean, that's a, that's a goosebump, goosebump moment in, the, uh, in Wrigley Field history. Gary Sharps with his Sharpie. Going to switch to football. Thanks for your, your memories and uh, your, uh, your account of uh, 20 years ago and in, in your coverage. Uh, Nebraska Buffalo. Uh, it'll be a, a an opportunity for Nebraska to continue to move forward uh, to to play better football. <laughs> a tough out, man. Uh, it it uh, it two forty today with the Bulls that come in. Still a lot of Leopold fingerprints on a s- extremely successful program. Today is about what for you with Nebraska in this matchup. Uh, they have to play the best game they've played all season long. I, I think this is a, a good little – they got a week zero. But this is a Big Ten West-type game that's going to be won with violent collisions on the line of scrimmage. And I think it's going to be won more with legs than arms. And with the heat today, which will be the hottest game – you know, we're talking about memories. It'll be the hottest game that I can remember, Schmitty, since the San Jose State game in 2000 to kick off that season when it was 100 degrees. I mean, it was 
it was a fat man's weight loss paradise. You were sweating. There were unfortunately people were a lot of people were being carried out of the stadium. Ironically, that was the first video webcast of a college football game back in 2000. So it's going to be one day. You don't have a limit on your roster like you would in a Big Ten play where you're limited to 74. So Nebraska should take advantage of that. But I think this is a one-score game. I mean, I think this is a game Nebraska has to prove a lot to people. People are going to overlook Buffalo. They're, you know, Nebraska is nearly a two-touchdown favorite. This is a worthy MAC team. It's not where they were last year or the year before, but they know how to win. And they've got some guys that will run and hit, and they've got some guys that look like they should be on Big Ten rosters physically and also the way they play. So Nebraska is going to have to play really well. But here's the element that I think we need to, look, we need, we need to have answered after this game. Buffalo's got a fairly new coaching staff. They're going to throw new wrinkles at you. We've seen it the first two weeks. How long does it take for Nebraska to adjust in-game, especially Greg Austin and his offensive line? Because you know, and I think that Buffalo defense will take a lot of shots. Um, They're going to bring some pressure. There's going to be home run opportunities there. Can Nebraska take advantage of them? But can Nebraska, with management assessment management in the first quarter, get ready for the second quarter with new wrinkles of their own to combat what Buffalo is doing. I'm excited about this matchup. I I think this is a good test for Nebraska because they have to start to show something that they're clicking and they're closer to what they think they are because the next two games are vitally important. I know that Nebraska will be a huge underdog next weekend, but then right after that is a very, very sneaky game on the road in East Lansing against a Michigan State team that's going to do the same thing Buffalo is going to do today. They're going to line it up and try and run it down your throat. Gary Sharps with us, the Iron Horse, Hale Varsity Radio. This is a necessary test. You're right on about uh, kind of a Big Ten West feel for it. When you talk about adjustment, turnaround, do you chalk that up as to an experience from a coaching standpoint? And, and I know Greg's coached, I know Scott's coached, I know Lubick's coached. They, they've all coached a long time, and they've, they've coached at Power Fives before. So I'm not doubting their, their coaching acumen, but is it a combination of, okay, trying to figure out a counter with a young group? And, and people, some roll their eyes when we talk about youth, but, and, and Greg's the last guy to, to use youth as an excuse, but there's a reality aspect to it with a younger group uh and and trying to to turn things around and and i go back to the the interaction between greg adrian the o-line some healthy let's let's bleep and go you know type Mm -hmm. type conversation on the sideline what do you chalk up the delay to is is it nebraska's o-line and and their 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 ability level to to comprehend and then execute it? Or is it the coaches saying, okay, what, what do we go to? Where's that gray area at? Well, I think it's – they haven't had continuity on the offensive line. You know, they've had some injuries. They've yeah. had some guys bouncing in and out through the first two weeks. So that hurts you a little bit. But I like what Greg Austin said. Greg Austin knows really the, the success of this football program the rest of the year is predicated on what the offensive line does. If they can establish themselves and get more consistent sooner than later – Boy, look who that helps. It helps number two. It helps the running backs. It helps the entire feel of a football program. And I like that Greg Austin, there's a, definitely a sense of energy, he, or a sense of urgency, I beg your pardon. He doesn't want to hear that guys haven't played as much football as others. 
he wants guys to be better, and he's trying to help them be better. And this is an opportunity today. So I think the communication on the sideline is you got some newbies out there that haven't seen some stuff and haven't got reps and they're overthinking things. It's not like the offensive line has been atrocious, but it happens where four guys do the right thing, one guy doesn't, and it blows up on Nebraska because that margin of error is so small. So I like that Austin is, is really into this is a huge game. Don't want to hear that you're young. I want to hear that you're playing well. And I like that Adrian Martinez got on him, but it shouldn't take Adrian Martinez to jump the offensive line. It should be somebody on that offensive line that looks at his, his fellow mates and says, this is not acceptable. But they got it out of the way. We'll see how they respond today because there's going to be a lot of eyeballs in that offensive line, especially with a pretty stout front seven. I think Buffalo will give them a nice challenge up front, and Nebraska's got to be able to get three, four, five, and lead the bigger plays, and maybe Nebraska gets into an opportunity today. Again, I think there are going to be opportunities for home run plays because of the aggressiveness of the Buffalo defense. Can you get a run that is over 20 yards? That's kind of eluded Nebraska the first two weeks. Gary Sharp's with us here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And I'm with you. I think a good performance from this offensive line could really jumpstart the entire team. But when you're looking at this game as a whole, what position group do you think needs to step up at 2.30 today to, to get Nebraska a win against Buffalo? So let's take the offensive line because that's what we just talked about. I think the legs of Adrian Martinez. I think tomorrow we're going to be talking about the legs of Adrian Martinez and we're going to be talking about Damian Daniels on the defensive line. This is a Buffalo team. One, on the other side, they haven't given up a 100-yard rusher in the last 16 games. Now, on the other side, it's not as an experienced offensive line as they've had in the past, but they love to run the football. I think Damian Daniels is a gap clogger. I think we'll be talking about him. But I'm looking at the legs of Adrian Martinez. I think there will be opportunities in the passing game, but I also think Buffalo doesn't see the kind of read option versatile quarterback that Martinez can be making moves with his legs. They don't see that in the Mac. And I think there's an opportunity with Nebraska, maybe showing a little bit, you know, a little more RPO, but also the option game that there could be some big hitters here. So that's what I'm looking for is how does Nebraska get their rushing yards? Is it straight quarterback handoff or is it something read option, option pitch, running with parade, those kind of things. If those kind of things are hitting guys, Man, then my opinion of a one-score game changes, and I think Nebraska then feels pretty comfortable. Sharpie, I think you're right on. And, and if, if you got to run it with Adrian today to, to get the win, good, fine. Just, just find a way uh, to, to make that happen. And, and we were spending some time with Vogel a uh, segment ago on, on the, uh, the Toure option element, and it, it looks incredible. More could be better today. Uh, a thought here uh, as we wind down, Gary Sharp with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharpie, uh, just overall with, with Nebraska's psyche right now, any feel or read with this squad going in? Are they anxious? Are they excited? Where are they at with this opportunity? Illinois was Illinois. You had a get well quarter two, three, and four last weekend, and now here's Buffalo. And we've all heard the, the concern from the fan base this week. I don't think they know where they're at. I think they, they think they can be a good football team. I think there's a general feeling that they did it to themselves in Champaign. And they have to prove that they are the team that think they are. But I don't think these guys know where they're at right now. And 
this is a game to start to tell you more. Nebraska got exactly what they wanted last week. They got a victory. They got a lot of people to play. They did some good things. But then you have to look at who they were playing. But still, they won the football game, and they did some things they needed to do. And unlike the six FCS over FBS upsets across country, Nebraska was not one of those. But today is a big day because Nebraska hasn't handled success real well. When they've had a good game, they have a trouble stacking the next game. So I don't know what they are right now. They think they want to be this. But the next three weeks, I think, will tell you everything you need to know about this football program because it's all kinds of different challenges. they got to find out stuff about themselves sooner than later, and I think it starts today. But we have a lot of – I mean, there's a, guys, we, we look at each other, we talk. There's not a lot you know of after two games of the season. There's still the unknown. You think the defense is going to be okay. You like what you got at defensive back. But, man, is there anything that you're certain on? And that, that could be uncomfortable this early in the year, but the next three weeks will tell you everything you need to know about this football team. Gary Sharp with us. Sharpie, uh, have a good trip down to Lincoln. We will uh, see you on the sixth floor. Thanks for a few minutes today, bud. Hey, Schmidt and Elijah, Elijah, thank you. Have a, a wonderful football Saturday. And uh, Iowa, Iowa State, well, the clones win. <laughs> I know you guys will be talking about it. All right, Sharpie, thanks again, bud. Thanks, guys.